Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. As uh, Evan was saying, I'm Brad, I'm the new assistant pastor here, and it's my privilege and opportunity to share God's Word with you. Uh, this morning. As Evan was saying earlier in the service, we're doing some work over at the house, and so if you're looking at my hands, you may see that this is all bandaged up, and you may be wondering, well, what's up with that? Uh, quick story, so on Friday, uh, I was uh, working with Allison and with Dwayne. We were doing some painting and a few other little things, and uh, it was just so silly. I grabbed the ladder to move it, had to fold it up, and my finger was in between where the ladders come down. And so I sliced my fingernail off and part of the tip of my finger. And so that's what this is all about. It hurts, but we'll, uh, we'll get through. So anyway, uh, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was right into comic books and, and comics. Now, I'm not really talking about the Marvel and DC superhero type of stuff. I'm talking about the Saturday morning paper. When it came, there was comics on the back page. So my mom and dad, they would grab the paper, they'd read the news, they'd read the sports, they want to know what's going on in the world. I would grab that back page and I would read through Garfield and Lockhorns and Archie and all those different comics that were at the back. I loved reading those. And I remember this one comic uh, by the Peanuts Gang. Who remembers the Peanuts Gang? Right? A few of us. Okay, good. Uh, there was this comic by the Peanuts Gang. And when I saw it, it just struck me and, and I guess it made an impact on me. Uh, it's a four-panel comic, and in the first panel, you see Lucy and Linus. They're indoors, and it's raining outside. And Lucy says to Linus, boy, Linus, there's so much rain. It's probably going to flood the earth. And Linus, being the smart, scholar, Bible-knowledgeable guy, says to Lucy, no, Lucy, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. God says in his word that he will never flood the earth again. And so then Lucy says, boy, you've taken a great deal of anxiety off my mind. And Linus replies by saying, sound theology has a way of doing that. Now what Linus is saying is absolutely right. When we have sound theology, and when I say theology, I just mean proper understanding and the right beliefs of who God is. When we have sound theology, it will put us at ease against any doubts we may have about God or any worries and anxieties we have about life. And not only that, it will correct our distorted perceptions of reality that we may have. It goes without saying that what we believe matters. And so we must know what we believe and why we believe it, because you see, our beliefs will drive our actions. Our beliefs will drive our actions, they will drive our behaviors, our attitudes, our values, our habits, our lifestyle. All these things will be a reflection of what our beliefs are, for better or worse. Now take this example. At Christmas time, we typically teach children about Santa Claus, right? I know they're all downstairs, hopefully they can't hear me, because we all know in this room He's not real. But at Christmas time, we teach kids... Sorry, Evan. He, he just learned it. <laughs> we teach kids, you know, if you're a good little boy or little girl, Santa will come and bring you presents. 
and that's all great. But if you're bad, he will come and put a lump of coal in your stocking. So, it's not the worst thing to tell our kids, because parents, maybe you agree, it might help uh, get the behaviors in line at Christmas time, especially when grandparents come to visit, or you're out at the store, and they're like, gimme, 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 and you just remind them, oh, Santa Claus is watching, and they're like, oh yeah, gotta, gotta watch out. Now, that's not a big deal, but if a child believes this to be absolutely true, it will have a profound impact on their life. And it will change how they behave and how they perceive reality. Now, the same thing can be said about religious perspectives. You see, as Christians, we can look at other religious beliefs and kind of go, yeah, that doesn't sound about right. Things like reincarnation or that the month you're born in affects your personality or that crystals possess healing and magical properties or that you'll receive 72 virgins by committing jihad and so on. So we can look at those and go, yeah, no, that's not for me. And, and yes, those have an impact. But at the same time, we are not off the hook either. Historically speaking, the church and some who have professed a belief in Christ have gotten it wrong with their teachings. Sometimes there have been beliefs that have infiltrated their way into the church that are contrary to the word of God. And I'll get to those later. But when we have beliefs that are inconsistent with truth, we will reap the repercussions of them. This is why it's so important for believers to have a sound theology. We have to have proper beliefs and sound theology in order to have the proper living, the proper behaviors, values, and so on. If we are to, you know, live properly, we need to have proper beliefs. So in other words, we have to practice what we preach, but we also have to preach what is true. This is why I think maybe there are so many people, both on the outside and even on the inside of the church, who struggle with doubts about God or have anxieties about life, because they may claim a belief in God, but their belief is grounded in something false rather than something that is true. But if someone were to believe in God correctly and have the sound doctrine or the sound theology, the right beliefs, that would have a profound impact for the positive. So my hypothesis is this, that the reason some of us may struggle with these doubts about God or anxieties about life is because we may have a wrong belief about God in the first place. We're kind of like Lucy in that Peanuts comic. We're without a sound theology, without the proper beliefs about God, and because of that, we lack the proper actions, the proper behaviors and values, and so on, and become anxious or doubtful about God. I like how Timothy Keller puts it. He says this, he says, Tell me about the God you don't believe in, because chances are, I don't believe in that God either. Someone who has beliefs that are incorrect will be shaped by them, in ways that can only lead to spiritual destruction. What we believe matters. Now, if you turn with me in your scriptures to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy is found towards the back. It's 
interspersed with a bunch of other smaller books of the Bible. But 1 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to Timothy, who was a young ward of his, someone he was training up into ministry. He was probably my age. Uh, Maybe he looked like me. I don't know. But Timothy was uh, a follower of Christ and a disciple under Paul who was training to become a pastor of a small church. And in 1 Timothy, Paul lays out instructions for Timothy in how to conduct his own life, matters of the church, and other things to look out for. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Paul says this, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're even talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Now, if you skip ahead to verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul says this, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have so shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Lord, as your word has now been read, may you now transform our lives through it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in our scripture, the Apostle Paul warns Timothy about the dangers of false teachings and false beliefs and what can happen to a person or even a community when they are believed and accepted. In verse 4, Paul states that false teachings promote controversies rather than God's work. This is obviously a problem, right? Controversies are good at creating one thing, and that is division. And I can't think of any examples in church history when a controversy aided towards the ministry or the unity of the church, or resulted in a positive transformation of an individual or community. False teachings lead to false beliefs, which lead to divisive controversy. Not a good thing. And the ramifications that these can have on a person are deadly and destructive. In verse 19 and 20, Paul gives us the real-life example of two men who adopted a false teaching and how it impacted their lives, Alexander and Hymenaeus. Paul says that some have rejected these. He's talking about Alexander and Hymenaeus. Now, Paul says some have rejected these, and he's talking about faith and good conscience. That's the context uh, before this verse. But really, Paul is saying some have rejected sound theology, the right beliefs, and the right way of living. So you could say faith is the proper thinking or proper beliefs, and good conscience is the proper living out those beliefs. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. 
Now, before this verse, Paul tells Timothy to hold on to faith and a good conscience, to use them as weapons for continuing to fight the good fight, to remain steadfast in his faith. But when false teachings are adopted, faith and a good conscience, the things that we're meant to hold on to, go out the window. And this is exactly what Paul says that Alexander and Hymenaeus have done. They have rejected faith and good conscience. They have rejected sound doctrine or the right beliefs and the right living, and in doing so, have shipwrecked their faith. Now, it's interesting to point out, if you're the type of person that likes to do Greek word studies, the word used to translate the English word rejected literally means to throw overboard. It's a boating term. Throw overboard. Now, I don't know if anyone here has any boating experience, but typically when you're out boating and you're in the midst of a storm or in the midst of a crisis, you only throw overboard that which is non-essential, right? You hold on to the life raft. You hold on to the life preservers. You hold on to those little circular-looking things that have the red and the white in them. You don't get rid of those. You get rid of the stuff that you don't care you're going to lose, the stuff that's weighing the boat down, the stuff that's just maybe perpetuating the problem. But in the case of Alexander and Hymenaeus, they abandon and they throw overboard that which was essential for their survival. They rejected faith, sound doctrine, and proper living, and in doing so, were shipwrecked by it. This is what happens when we adopt false teachings or false beliefs about God. Our beliefs become so skewed that we will begin to misinterpret truth and abandon it, throwing it overboard, thinking it's no longer essential, and end up shipwrecked like Alexander and Hymenaeus. You see, believing false teachings cause severe spiritual damage. Now, we learn later from 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is the book right after 1 Timothy, we learn that Hymenaeus, and along with some others, and possibly with Alexander, except his name's not mentioned, we learn that he held to a belief that the resurrection had already taken place, and that we missed it. That anyone else living in this time after Christ, well, there's no hope of a re- resurrection for us. And so you can imagine how a belief like that might shipwreck a person in their faith. Oh, well, the resurrection's already happened, so no hope for me. Might as well just live whatever life I want to do, because in the end, I'm dead, and it doesn't matter. That's it. It's over. Not a good thing to believe. A shipwrecking belief. You see, this false teaching about the resurrection was causing a crisis of faith for people in the church, people who are newer or maybe weaker in their faith. So just a moment, imagine for a moment what a belief like that could do to a person. All these hidden implications just from one false belief affected the church at one point. It's no wonder why Paul says that Alexander and Hymenaeus have been shipwrecked in their faith. But just like this one false belief, all false belief, all bad theology, all bad thinking about God will leave you shipwrecked in your faith. Throughout history, false teachings and bad theology have infiltrated their way into the church and unfortunately have led some astray. 
In the early days, there were some who believed that Christ was only a man, that he was not God. And then some thought it was the reverse of that. They thought he was only God, but didn't have actual human flesh. There were some who thought that the gift of prophecy could be malleable, to the point of even contradicting stuff in Scripture. Some believe that Jesus was adopted by God the Father, rather than eternal and begotten from the Father. Some denied the existence of the Trinity. Some thought that God just granted Jesus' divinity in response to his sacrificial lifestyle. And some denied the existence of sin and claimed that man is just born morally neutral. We decide whether or not we're sinful or not. See, these and many other first century false beliefs shipwrecked many followers of Christ and turned them away from their faith. But it's not just like bad theology or false beliefs disappeared after the early church days. No, false teachings continue to try and have their way with us. They try to continue to infiltrate the church, and we need to be on guard against them. These days you may hear about wrong beliefs like the prosperity gospel, the idea that God will just bless you with health and wealth if you just have enough faith. And if you don't have health and wealth right now, well, I guess there's something wrong with your faith, according to the prosperity gospel believers. There's a belief out there, it's called moralistic therapeutic deism, it's a big word, big long word, but it's a belief that claims that God is uninterested in how you live your life just as long as you're a good person. You've probably heard that one before, right? And how is goodness defined by these people who hold this belief? Well, goodness is defined by something that makes you feel good. Well, I can certainly think of a lot of sins that feel good. And you might go, well, if it feels good, it must be good. No, not at all. There's a false belief that exists today that claims that Jesus was just a moral teacher. He didn't come to save humanity from sin. He just came to give us good moral advice to live a good life. So there's nothing separating him from Buddha or Gandhi or your grandmother or Barney the dinosaur. There's a modern-day false belief held by big-name atheists like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins that state that God's just a moral monster. He's out to get you. He wants to crush you with pain and sickness. He has no sympathy or compassion, but only a bloodlust for carnage and destruction. Then there's this belief that is called karma, a false teaching that exists today. It's led many astray. Basically, it tells you that you can increase your spiritual standing with God by increasing the number of good deeds you do. And so it's all works-based. There's no grace associated with this. And then lastly, there's this belief that exists. I, I call it eschatological ethnocentrism, another great big name great big word, but it's this belief that basically claims that the end of days will revolve around the social, political uh, environment of Western civilization. You see this belief expressed anytime a new U.S. president is elected, right? Oh, he's the Antichrist. Oh no, he's going to usher in the second coming of Christ. Basically, it's, well, God only cares about America, maybe Canada, maybe, but it's this inflated patriotism that that god is only concerned with western civilization he doesn't care about what's going on in say south africa or ghana or any other countries in the world it's only about us 
you see this kind of belief expressed when you see Jesus portrayed as a, a white man with a British accent. It's like, no, he was Jewish. He was most likely olive or brown-skinned and had a Jewish accent, right? So you can imagine how any one of these various false beliefs, both old and new, could lead someone astray and shipwreck them in their faith. The marketplace of ideas is in no short supply of bad theology and wrong ideas about God that can leave a person shipwrecked in their faith like Alexander and Hymenaeus. What we believe matters. This is why scripture is so clear on this issue, that we have to have a sound theology, the right beliefs about God. Paul says in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, or according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Romans 16, 17 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. Hebrews 13, 9 says, Do not let be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then again in 2 John 1, 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked so hard for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. But if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever takes part, oh sorry, whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Moses says in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3, If a prophet comes among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder, he says, has come to pass, and then says, let us go after other gods and serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 23, 16, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy you, to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And then our Lord Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, Scripture is so clear about this issue. What we believe matters, and we have to be on guard against false teachings, 
false beliefs, and anything that would distract or interfere with a proper understanding of who God is and what the truth is. So, what is the application? What do we do with all this? Well, I think there are four things that we are to do if we are to be properly guarded against any false teaching. Number one is this. We must ground our beliefs in Scripture. Everything is built upon Scripture, the Word of God. Every belief about God must be filtered through this book. If it's inconsistent with this book, you have yourself a false belief that you must set aside. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we ask ourselves, does this belief align with Scripture? If not, I set it aside. But if it does, then I move on to the second step. The second step is to study theology or to read books. See, after you've run your belief up against Scripture, we run it up against theology or the works of uh, writers in the church who are sound and recognized. These might be things like the early church creeds or, or works written by people like C.S. Lewis and, I don't know, uh, Augustine and, and some of these other names that maybe you've heard about. And so we ask, does this belief align with Scripture and does it also align with theology, the historical traditions formulated by early church fathers and so on? If not, I set it aside. But if so, I keep going on to the third step. The third step is we ask questions. We ask questions. We ask questions maybe introspectively to ourselves. We ask ourselves, does this belief make sense rationally? Does it actually fit reason? Is it reasonable? Maybe we ask these questions to our pastors or to a trusted friend or mentor that we know is perhaps stronger in their faith than we are. We humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be told that we're wrong. We, we welcome feedback. We find out whether or not we're on the right path or not from having these conversations. And so we run our belief up against Scripture. We run it up against theology. We run it up against the feedback of our peers and our pastors. And if it's, if it's sound, then we move on to the fourth step. But if not, we set that aside. And the fourth step is this. We examine the outcomes. We ask ourselves, does this belief produce the type of living, the type of attitudes, the type of values, the type of fruit that God expects from his people? Or does it leave me with further doubts and further anxieties? Does it push me towards behaving in ways that are contrary to God's expectations? Does it cause me to value things that are of the world but not in God's heart? Is my life being affected positively or negatively by this? If not, we set it aside. But if our belief aligns with scripture, with theology, with reason, and with experience, then we have ourselves a sound theology worth holding on to and worth guarding. The type of theology that will protect you from the types of anxieties that Lucy had in our Peanuts comic earlier, or from shipwrecking your faith like Alexander and Hymenaeus. And so church, if we are to remain steadfast in our faith, 
if we are to remain strong in defending our faith against the waywardness of the world, if we are to promote sound doctrine that leads us into paths of righteousness, if we're to raise our children on the promises of God's word, if we want to see our families, our communities, and lives transformed for the sake of the kingdom of God, then we must stay on guard against false teachings and cling ever so closely to the sound doctrine that saves the only gospel message that's been preached for over 2,000 years, that though we were sinners, Christ Jesus came into the world to save us and offer us eternal life by repenting of our sin and by believing and accepting that Jesus Christ is Lord and to commit to following him all the days of our lives. So as the band comes up to close us this morning with the song, this morning I just want to ask What are you believing? See, this morning you may be here with some doubts. You may have a troubled mind, unsure of what to believe. Perhaps some of the false teachings I listed earlier are ones that you've kind of thought, yeah, I I used to think that way, or I think that way now, or I've lived that way, and I'm, I'm living that way now. Maybe you've not even yet received the gospel message as your own. Perhaps you've heard it so many times, you've come to church so many times, you've sat in the chairs, but not yet crossed that line of faith. And maybe today is your day to put your life in the palm of God's hand and say, I'm trusting you, and I'm following you, and I'm setting aside everything I once heard about you that is false. If so, I invite you to take that step today by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and by believing that he truly is the Son of God and the only one who can save. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful to be gathered here this morning and to have heard your word and to praise your name through song. Lord, we're thankful for all the the ministries that are taking place in this church and how you've been faithful to us. But Lord, this morning, there may be some of us here this morning who are filled with doubts or filled with anxieties because our beliefs about you or our thoughts about you are not consistent with who you are. Lord, maybe we've been led astray by something popular, something taught by the media or by a friend or a parent. And Lord, maybe we're recognizing today we need to set that aside and lean into learning about who you really are. And so, Lord, this morning I ask that you would fill this place with your presence, that you would convict our hearts, you would convict our minds of where we have gone wrong. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways.